Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Matt Arnold sitting in for Jess again. Matt, thanks for sitting in again for Jesse, my friend. <laughs> my pleasure, Terry. It's becoming a habit here. And I say again because you're going to be back on Friday. And just uh, just to let you know, I'm sitting looking at my phone during the show, and so many people have texted me saying, you need to have Matt Arnold on the show more with you. And I said, okay, well, you got your answer because um, today and Friday you'll be joining us. Jesse will be on a plane flying to any part of the country for his work on evangelization. Today, Matt, you know we're, we're going to be talking about evangelization. I want to share with people how important their personal testimony is, because in spite of all the scandals that are going on, you know, this is the mission that Christ gave to his church, to share the gospel. And sometimes we can get carried away with too much of the uh, scandals and not enough on sharing your, your faith. And so we're going to talk about that. We're also going to bring up Cardinal Seurat, one of my favorite. Well, he is the top of the food chain for me. I, I love the man. I've read his books on silence, on on prayer. Uh, I I just think the world of him because he's so uh, spot on when it comes to the the faith. And he came out and strongly rejects fiducio supplicans as, and he used the H word. No, no, heresy of the same sex blessing. So I mean, that's pretty strong. And I, I just want to also address, and this with you, Matt, um, how I was, I got several communications last night from people saying that um, you just have to trust the church. You, I'm going to send you a video. You need to watch this. And um, the, pro, the point I think is that we want to make a distinction between disciplines of the church and dogmas of the church, uh, because they, we really have to understand, even a priest, I'm, maybe he just didn't get good formation, but he was making the point that whether it's discipline or ordinary teachings, you know, it's all on the same level. And I, I want to explain why that's not the case. So we've okay. got lots to talk about. Uh, sure. But before we do all of this, I do want to, uh, we call it need to know file. And then we're going to get to the soul food, the gospel. Um, this really shook me. Thank you, Anthony. This really shook me, Matt, when I when I got this statistic about how many Babies died in a, in the world in the last calendar year of 2023. 44.6 million people worldwide, more than any other cause of death. And and then people say, why do you guys always talk about abortion? I'm going to give this, I've got two hours with Bishop Strickland later this afternoon. We're going to bring that up and say, what do you mean why? Isn't that a good reason? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the number one cause of death in the world entirely preventable? Yeah, I'd yeah, say, that's I'd say so. Pretty good reason. And then uh, just so if people want to have a full list of where do bishops stand regarding that homosexual couples, uh, that's on LifeSite. I think I printed it out. It's kind of thick because, you know, many bishops' conferences aren't going along with it. Also, need to know file. I'm glad that Cardinal Fernandez tried to distance himself from the book, saying that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write it now because I've changed, you know. But he didn't repent. He didn't say, no, I read okay, uh, I wrote it. No, no, no. <laughs> didn't repudiate the contents? No, he did not. So that's a good to know file. Also, yeah, that, that sounds more like I'm sorry I got caught. Exactly. Thank you, Matthew. Well said. <laughs> that's, And you know, Matt, I, I'm just going to say it. I love having you on because these are the kind of conversations, folks, that Matt and I have on the telephone. I, I have to be honest, if there was um, the last 20 years, there's one man that I have more conversations about the Catholic faith. You're looking at him. It's Matt Arnold. Yeah, I mean, I'm just that's just a fact, Matt. I don't have a lot of people who I can actually share these things 
uh, on the level that I can with you. So I appreciate that. Uh, All right. We've got to be a part of it. Same here. Oh, my pleasure. And then I want to give this note that Father James Martin, you know, fellow Senate Senate on Senatality, he, uh, his Jesuit priest friend claimed that same-sex relations are an integral part to the church. So here, here's my point. Just mark it. He gets no reprimand for saying this, and he actually said this, that they're equal. Here's what he said. The combination of rejection they applied to the church by making a call for inclusion of LGBT ideology and lifestyle, both, he said, heterosexual and homosexual people embody the truth of their dignity and their sexuality. Okay, I'm sorry. Is this microphone on? Okay, well, that's the thing. I, again, you know, you parse that out. Do they embody the truth of their dignity? Yeah, all people have dignity because made in an image. Of course. Like Even, you know, now, that doesn't make you—I'm going to make another distinction here. People yeah. say, we're all God's children. Yeah. Like, eh, I'm sorry, I hit the buzzer on that one. That's the relationship that was broken in the Garden of Eden. Yep. You become a, you become God's child by adoption through baptism. Amen, brother. Right. And that's that's a that's a pretty exclusive club. There's a lot of people in it, but it doesn't you know. But that uh, child of God does not apply to everybody. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's just the reality. Yeah. You got and it. The other thing is, okay, yeah, yeah I, I have this dignity, but does my sexuality uh, is is that where my dignity lies? That's what he's implying. Well, well, I, I would suggest to you that that's only true if my sexuality. Uh, conforms to my human dignity. Yes, yes. Well, see, what Matthew, these are the distinctions that we need to be made because you see how that can be misread. Look at the LGBTQ, whatever number you want to name it, is how <laughs> happy they are with this document. They always oh, yeah. say, well, this is a move in the right direction and the church is finally getting with the world. Well, right, that's yeah, the, the only complaint is that, that they've not gone far enough. Yeah, exactly. All right, unless you have something else, let's get to the soul food. Oh, please. That's oh, the, absolutely. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the good news that we want to share. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, let's get on that because talk about evangelization today. Yep. yep. Um, and today's gospel, if I'm not mistaken, is from Mark 1, 29 through 39. Yep. That, okay. uh, on leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew mm -hmm. with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. They immediately told him about her. He approached, grasped her hand and helped her up. Then the fever left her, and she waited on them. When it was evening, after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. Mm -hmm. The whole town was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, not permitting them to speak because they knew him. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Mm -hmm. Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and on finding him said, Everyone is looking for you. He told them, let us go on to the nearby villages that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. So he went into their synagogues, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. Thus far, the words of the Holy Gospel. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Lots of great stuff in this one. Um, first off, uh, the Gospel of Mark, very direct. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's just, there's no... There's no frills and extras. It's just uh, just the facts. So mm -hmm. he's, he's Sergeant Friday of the evangelists. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I would point out a couple of things. Uh, Simon, of course, is is Peter. Simon Peter. He hasn't right. had his name changed yet. But uh, his mother-in-law is sick. Jesus heals her, and it says she got up immediately and what waited on them. Uh, the Douay Reims version translates that word as ministered. Yep. Because to minister is to serve, right? Ministry is service. 
Remember, Jesus says in Matthew uh, 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then you remember John 15, where he washes the apostles' feet. Why would he do that? Well, thankfully, he tells us. John 13, 15 through 17, I have given you an example. What I've done for you, you should also do. Amen, amen, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So being a Christian is about service. I mean, to God first that's, and then to one another. That's right. And, and you also notice Jesus goes to the desert to pray before he goes out to preach the gospel. And that's another good example. If you want to evangelize, you want to share the gospel, it needs to proceed from prayer. And, and really should follow, uh, we should follow the example of Jesus and live a life of prayer. And then we go out to preach. Well said. I have a little book on the Gospel of Mark from the Augustine Institute with prayer and meditation. And we had chapter one that we were reading from this day. And I think that they summarized that chapter. I'm going to give people homework today. It doesn't take long to read chapter one of Mark. It's pretty direct, as Matt said. But I love this. He says, as a summary, in a world of chaos and disorder, which we have right now, it is reassuring to know that God has a plan to deal with sin and evil. Jesus came to announce that this divine plan is now in effect. It's time to repent, time to believe. The first disciples heeded the call, dropped their nets, and followed him. We are all called to do the same. I thought that was a nice summary of that chapter, so I would encourage you to read that. Now, let's bring the smartest guy into the room, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Full Sheen ahead. And this kind of fits right in. Bishop Sheen talked a lot about secularization and how the world has become too uh, the church has become too worldly. He says, why are we deluged with books about secularization of Christianity? Now, Matthew, this is 50, 80, 50 or 60 years ago when this was written. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This was going on in the 60s, big time. <clears throat> because the world cannot see any great difference between the way we act and the way it acts. <clears throat> no one can influence the world who is too identified with it. Uh, mm. Matthew, that's very biblical, okay? That is so biblical teaching that we need to say no to the world and yes to Jesus. And I think of that even on this practical level of the transmission of life. We're talking a lot about sexuality. Well, you know, the whole teaching of the Catholic faith on the purpose of marriage, bringing forth new life, has not been emphasized much. You know what they've been emphasizing in the sense of the world is marriage is whatever you want it to be. Well, that's not what we as Catholics believe. But right, we come the church teaches. No. When we come back, we're going to talk about Cardinal Robert Seurat and his comments and ask ourselves, uh, how does that fit in with Akita, Our Lady of Akita, Cardinals fighting with Cardinals? Yeah, this is what we're going to talk about. Why? Well, we want to inspire you to fall deeper in love with Jesus and take your focus on Christ. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Matt Arnold sitting in. I say it because I mean it. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I mean it. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, Matt Arnold, Terry Barber, we'd be billionaires. Because you know what, Matt? With all the crummy things that are going on in the church, I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus Christ. When I got up this morning to go to the church to, to pray before our blessed Lord, 
I'm like, hey, this is a taste of heaven. I'm, mm-hmm. No matter what's going on outside of that, that church right now, I'm in the presence, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any better. So that's why when we talk about these problems in the church, it doesn't make me, like people say, well, I'm going to leave the church. What? That's just the opposite. You need to deepen in, dig in with your faith. Ask Jesus Christ every day for more faith because you're going to need it. Anybody who says I'm going to run with that, I, I ask them, what kind of relationship do you have with our Lord? I want to help you deepen that. Because you need to dig in when the times get tough. You don't go running when it gets tough. Well, Mm -hmm. Matt, a prominent, and I mean prominent African prelate, Cardinal Robert Seurat, has joined the growing number of bishops who have rejected fiducio supplicants, stating that it's proper, saying that it proposes a heresy that gravely undermines the church, the body of Christ, because it is contrary to the Catholic faith and tradition. Cardinal Seurat, why don't you really tell me what you think? I mean, Hmm. you can't say it any clearer. See, this is the language, in my opinion, Matt, we need to hear from our leaders in our church. In other words, can you interpret that any other way? No. Right. No, it's clear. Well, it's also, I mean, we we often talk about considering the source, and and I would suggest to you, Cardinal Seurat has, first off, he's joined the ranks of a bunch of other uh, really... Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, prominent theologians and and bishops and even even entire bishops conferences right uh, around the world and and which you know kind of continues to grow yes it does and and it's one of those things where people say you know I mean some of our our apologist friends are like oh no you know they just don't understand it right and it's like at some point you have to go are you going to listen to some lay person you know I mean and I and I say this about myself as well of course we're lay people you know? I, I I don't have any authority nope. here but uh, but uh, when People like Cardinal Seurat yeah. have something to say here. Are, are you are you really going to make the argument that he he just didn't understand <laughs> this, or, or or that he's just running off half caught because he didn't really read it, or whatever? Because that was kind of what uh, what the explanatory explanatory what press release sort yeah. of sort of suggested that that yep. you know he said, hey, you bishops that are upset about the first off, just go into a corner and you know calm down and read it again. And it's like <laughs> uh, you know I don't think. Well, you know, with all due respect, I don't think that Cardinal Fernandez is the one to take Cardinal Serra to school. I agree. I agree. And I and I will just mention for those who don't know the background of Cardinal Serra, he was the prefect for the doctrine of liturgy. Okay, and if you remember, Matt, I know you do because you don't forget anything when it comes to liturgy. One <laughs> uh, time before he got fired, he just before he got fired, he made a comment and said all priests should be ad orientum facing. Uh, the tabernacle, the altar, rather than the people for Lent. Let's make this change. And he said it. And then he also uh, made some other comments about the sacredness of receiving Holy Communion, kneeling and only on the tongue. He said, this is a really good idea to bring back the reverence. And when he did that, uh, the Holy Father, which is, he's got his right, he's, he's, he's over, you know, over the Cardinal, and said, no, what you said was wrong, and we're not going to do that. And uh, he reassured everybody that nothing will change. We're going to continue uh, having the priests face the people, even though Second Vatican Council says that that's not what we want. Mm-hmm. I get it. He's the Pope. He can do that. But what I thought... You know, general, listen, Terry, the general yeah. instruction of the Roman Missal. Makes okay, it clear. Talking about the Novus Ordo now. Makes it clear. Yeah, it says 
uh, that at the Orate Fratres, they say pre-brethren, that, that it instructs the priest to turn and face the people. Exactly. They expect him to, to spin 360 like a figure skater. Right. Or, or, or the general instruction assumes yes. that uh, he's celebrating ad orientum. Yes. You know, again, this is yet another one of those things that was allowed by indult. Mm -hmm. And and again, all these indults, they're always out experimentum, which means yeah. that you know, we're going we're gonna to try this out and see if it hurts people's faith. Yes. Okay. Now that 80% of the people in this country don't go to church anymore, and 70% of those who do don't believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, I think the jury's in. Well, you know, yeah. Maybe it's just me. Your point is well made. But I'm going to give you an example. Back in the, mid, in the late 70s, well, early 70s, but it, it didn't take place until 77 in America, we, were, we got an indult for communion in the hand. Okay? Right. And they gave all these uh, explanations that there's no chance of, of uh, the Blessed Sacrament being defamed, that the people acknowledge that it's Jesus by a genuflection. They gave all these things that nobody paid attention to. And what That's was the, so for 50 years, is there a connection with people believing in the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ when they stand and take the host in their hand? What, you know, actions have consequences. And so my point to you is, we got to stop, I think, making these indults wet that have all these, you know, cover, you're covering yourself saying, oh, yeah, but it says this and it says that. But what actually takes place? Because actions speak louder than words. And for 50 years, we have now have a generation of Catholics that don't believe in the real presence. And this is a problem in my take. But getting back to the Cardinal, I'm sorry, I got hit, kind of got car, uh, taken <laughs> off because I wanted people to understand Cardinal Seurat, his maybe some of them didn't know who he was with the prefect for the liturgy. Now, right. he published this on the 8th of January. So tell me, he had a couple weeks to read this. That's right. That uh, tells you, the first thing that tells you yeah. is that he didn't, he, this is not a knee-jerk reaction. Exactly. That this was something that he said after reflection. And, and you know what I like about it? He brought two things in that, Matt, you and I talked about early, about natural law and scripture. Uh, he, he said this, he said, Homosexual activity is against natural law and scripture and the church's moral law, all which he cited in his statement. I, I kind of wish they could have cited that. Uh, you know, if we think about the document that came out, there was no scripture. There was no, no fathers of the church. Obviously, they couldn't cite any precedents because there weren't any. Yeah. And so the cardinal here is saying, look, they close the sexual act to the gift of life. They do not stem from true, effective, and sexual complementary. They cannot be approved under any circumstances, any pastoral approach. I love this. That fails to recall this objective truth would be failing in the first work of mercy, which is a gift of truth. I thought that was well said, Matt. Yeah, no, he's, he's, uh, he sounds very Catholic to me. That's a very Catholic statement. And think about this. We have so many people, we have the, uh, here in Los Angeles, uh, we have a ministry started by the Cardinal Mahoney back in 1985, the ministry to the homosexual community. And I had friends who had same-sex attraction who went to these meetings. Every one of the meetings was all about the church is going to affirm us in our sexuality. We're not calling us to be chaste. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. really? That's just the opposite of what the catechism, what the church has taught. And my question is, there's a group called Courage, Father mm -hmm. Harvey, a friend of mine from 1980s. He started this in the 70s in New York, and they're all over. But the question I have is, they didn't go to Rome to help the homosexual community. They got New Ways Ministry 
a sister who's been doing this work for 40 years, and the Holy Father says she's doing wonderful work. Well, wait a minute. This is a woman who affirms people in their sin, and then you've got courage who calls them to fidelity, to chastity, which the Catechism uh, says. So you see how upside down we are here, Matt? So I, I bring this up because Fiducio supplicants from the Cardinals, uh, Victor Manuel Fernandez, he says, which proportions, which purports to allow blessings of same-sex couples. The document shields away from explicitly stating that such blessings are for homosexual unions, but rather for couples. Do you see how ambiguous? See, ambiguity really brings problems in our church. That's right. That's why, you know, if you, you go back, and I'm sorry, I'd, I'd hate to, you know, mm -hmm. sound like one note uh, a preacher here, but you yep. go back before Vatican II, yep. and uh, um, they were always, especially at an ecumenical council, they're very careful in the way things are worded yes. to be very precise. Yep. And they say, this is what the church teaches. And then you would get a list of what's called canons and decrees, or canons and anathemas. That's right. Right, decrees and anathemas. In other words, they would say, this is what the church teaches. So if you say this, and, and they, they just come up with every conceivable what-if scenario mm -hmm. that doesn't fit. Yeah. So, right, if you're saying that uh, that you can call yourself a couple outside of what it means to be a couple, let them be anathema. I mean, that should be attached to this, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, the, so the people can understand. But it's un, it's clearly, it's ambiguous for a purpose. Yeah. And that purpose is, they. I, I think they know perfectly well they can't change the church's teaching on this, right. at least not without a, without a schism. right. And so they say, well, we're not changing. We're really not changing anything. We're calling for a new kind of blessing, and it's a blessing that's not doesn't break any of the rules because since it's a new kind of blessing, it doesn't. Uh, there aren't any rules, right? So just go and enjoy, but just make sure you know as long as there's no scandal, as long as it doesn't this, as long as it doesn't uh, look like a like you're blessing a couple, yeah. Right? As long as it, and of course they put a whole lot of emphasis on this isn't uh, uh, marriage, or we're not saying anything mm -hmm. that uh, that corrupts the doctrine of marriage, or that that suggests. Uh, uh, that there's such a thing as a gay marriage or whatever, but I'm yeah. sorry, you've all the pictures are already over the internet. That the damage right. is already That's done. Right. That's right. You know, I'm sorry. You get a you have a picture of a priest standing in a sanctuary with, with an album stole, making the sign of the cross over two women holding hands. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but you know, is anybody fooled by this? Does anybody no. think? Oh, that's not scandalous at all. And Matthew, you I know? think you're going to. Sorry, and like you, I'm sorry. Just no, but you said about communion in the hand. The fact that there's caveats in there and, and provisos are irrelevant because exactly. they're going to be ignored. They've, they're already being ignored. Well said. Well said. And one more action that the Cardinal brought up, and that is all these actions do generate error, scandal, doubt, and disappointment. I thought those are good things to bring up. He wrote adding how the bishops ignore or forget. See, he gave them the benefit of the doubt. They might have forgot this. <laughs> I thought that was so kind of him. Really, I caught that. Jesus' stern warning against those who scandalize the little ones. If anyone scandalizes one of those little ones who believes in me, it would be better to hang a millstone around his neck, throw him into the depths of the sea. That's Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. He said, due to its lack of clarity, fiducio supplicants has only amplified the confusion in people's hearts, well said, and some have even seized on it to support their attempts for manipulation, wrote the uh, cardinal. He said, as such, he ruled out entering into discussion with the document, instead citing the Word of God, the magisterium, and the traditional teachings of the church. What great sources rather than, are you ready, mm -hmm. psychology, science? See, right. the, word, the church, go ahead, Matt. 
Yeah, so I was going to say, uh, you know, something that people, the the the, uh, the conspiracy theorists, yeah. you know, and the people that uh, yeah. that looked a lot crazier a few years ago than they do now. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, always talking about oh the Masonic infiltration in the church and and you know and yeah. the the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita and, yeah. and the Catholics are going to march under our ideology, believing that they're marching under the banner of the papal keys and all that. Right. I would submit to you, Terry Barber, that um, that the Masonic infiltration uh, in the church is real oh, yeah. and, and observable in this sense. Because mm -hmm. outside of any conspiracy theories or any, you know, I don't think that that uh, Pope Francis is a Mason. I don't think he secretly goes down to the basement and puts on his Masonic apron right. and, and whatever they, whatever it is they do. Yeah. But he went to college. Yep. And it's thoroughly imbued with the all of the uh, Masonic ideas that were introduced into Western culture with the French Revolution. Well, just to confirm that, think about what the Masons have said about some of the Pope's documents that he's come out with. They're very pleased because it, it's like-minded. So let's come back now and talk about how to share your faith with anyone with your testimony and why it's important to know that. Stay with us, family. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back indeed. Matt, I'm going to put you on the hot seat before we talk about sharing the faith. And um, I mentioned earlier in the first segment the distinction that we want to make between disciplines of the church and doctrines of the church. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we heard some, uh, there's a popular video that's going around the internet. I heard the hour-long talk, and some of it was really good. But some of it, I think, though, the, with all due respect, I think the priest didn't get good formation in the seminary because he lumps the disciplines of the church and the doctrines of the church are infallible. So, Matthew, can you uh, give us a little catechesis on the difference between disciplines of the church and doctrines and how the two are different? All right. Um, well, first off, disciplines are, are, are a matter of church law. Mm -hmm. Doctrine is a matter of divine law. Amen. One of those can be changed. One of them can't. That's right. All right. Uh, so that's, that's, the, that's the first distinction. <laughs> Within magisterial teachings, right? The magisterium is the church's teaching office. Now, that doesn't mean that, that you go to Rome and you go down a hallway and there's a door that says magisterium on it. It's not that kind of office, <laughs> right? Office in the sense of, of a duty. Yes. Right? They, they have a duty to teach, govern, and sanctify. That's yep. why that's why Christ uh, uh, founded the hierarchy on yep. Peter and the apostles. Okay. So within magisterial teaching, within doctrinal teaching, there are even yet distinctions to be made there. Right. Obviously, um, Vatican I defined papal infallibility. Papal infallibility, it, it's, it's a negative gift, first off, right? Yep. Uh, uh, Pastor Eternus says that uh, the Holy Spirit is not given to the Pope that he might invent some new doctrine with his help, but rather that yep. he will have the help of the Holy Spirit to uphold and defend the doctrines Act. that are in the positive faith. Okay, go. so that's number one. Yep. Uh, that's why Benedict XV said, far, far from priests be the love of novelty. Okay, which doesn't really square with uh, Paul VI saying that, that the Holy Spirit has given the church the gift of newness, <laughs> right? That, that, you know, that, that new is good just because it's new, which yeah. is philosophically untenable, but that's another discussion. <laughs> okay, in, in magisterial teaching, so there's infallible, there's the extraordinary uh, infallibility of the Pope. That's when the Pope says, as the Pope, and with the intention of binding the conscience of the entire faithful, and having made clear that intention, mm -hmm. he... Uh, you know, declares some doctrine of faith or morals. Yep. So, like I say, very near, very r rare. Sure. Um, people often often say that the, probably the last time was the um, 
the Immaculate Conception. Was the last uh, um, infallible teaching. That was 1950. Uh, I would I would suggest to you that it was um, uh, the last papal act of you know in papal infallibility, extraordinary infallibility was. Uh, Sacerdotus or, or Dominus, whatever it's called. Yeah, on the priesthood. Yeah, that's right. John Paul what John Paul II said, it, it, it fits very everything the Vatican I says about infallibility. Right. Uh, but that's, you know, again, that's a conversation for another time. So you have that uh, kind of infallibility. Then you have the infallibility of the ordinary universal magisterium. Okay? Yeah. That's when if the Pope or, or a bishop's conference or even an individual bishop, if they just teach what the church has always taught, yep. guess what? That's infallible. Yep. That is the exercise of the ordinary universal magisterium, okay? Now, what if the Pope teaches something that's not part of that ordinary and universal magisterium? Is it still his magisterium? Yes. And what is it? Is it still the ordinary magisterium? Yes, but it's not the universal ordinary magisterium. Right. It's what's called the authentic magisterium, and it does not enjoy the promise of infallibility. Excellent point. And, and Matthew, just to there add... And, and I, I would put Amoris Laetitia. Yeah, I was just going to bring that I, up. I, they, they made a big show of saying this is part of the Pope's yeah. authentic magisterium. Now, we have an obligation to obey the Pope. Yep. Right? Even in his non-infallible teachings, by virtue of his office. Right. But again, you know, we're obliged to, to show obedience. Not blind obedience. It doesn't mean you can't question. You know, it doesn't mean the Pope's not the Pope. Or whatever, you know, there's a lot of people out there, you know, proposing a lot of crazy things. Mm -hmm. But it, it's it's not as if the Pope is an oracle of God that he has a gift of the Holy Spirit that whatever he says is automatically true. That's nonsense. Right. And I thank you for that that uh, explanation because many people think, and this is why I'm bringing it up, <clears throat> that hey, you guys just go along, trust the Pope, trust the Church right now, you know, trust the, the new prefect for the doctrine of faith. I say this, trust but verify. In other words, verify. <laughs> I know Ronald Reagan, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> I did say that. I got a chuckle out of you. But the point of it is verify that what they're saying is consistent with the perennial teachings of the church. And I bring this up, last statement, I'm, I'm, and I'll let it move on here, that every Catholic bishop makes a promise. The Pope, right. Strickland, everybody, they make a promise to adhere to the deposit of faith that's been given to us through the church. And so when a bishop comes and changes what the deposit of faith is saying, we're doing him a favor. Okay, I really mean that. To say, excuse me, your holiness or your your excellency, okay? Uh, you made a promise at the altar that you were going to confirm us in the deposit of faith. Please, don't go back on your promises. I made a promise. Matthew made a promise. Yes, at the altar, same place, different mm -hmm. You wedded yourself to your wife. I did mine to my wife. I made a promise. I right. have to stick to that promise. And so, like you, Bishop, we're doing you a favor. Now, some people would say, ah, come on, it's not the same. Well, I think the analogy is the same because we make promises at, at, at the altar in God's presence, and we have to live by those because we're going to be judged by how well we live our vocation out. You as a father first, not as an evangelist, okay? Now, right. as a father. And the bishop will be first judged by how he shepherds the flock, not by the way he plays golf on a, on a weekend. That has nothing mm -hmm. to do with it. So this is important, those distinctions to be made. So when people say to us, well, they're telling me that I should just listen. Well, fine, listen. But <clears throat> don't, be a, don't be like blind and say, I'm not going to, 
I'm just going to go in well, and say, I trust you. you. You understand that obedience is a virtue. That's right. And that, that virtue, uh, <clears throat> virtue sits in the mean between two extremes. That's true. So if you have the, the virtue of obedience is here. But you can sin against that by yep. defect, by right. just being you know, flat out disobedient. I don't care what you say. Right. I'm going to do whatever I want. Yep. Uh, which, you know, might describe somebody who's, you know, a, a bishop who's teaching you something that's not in a positive faith. I yeah. mean, just saying. Yeah. But so that's the defect. But you can also sin by excess. Yep. Servility is an obedience. Right. Great point. Great You know, point. I, I'm going to blindly do whatever you tell you. If you tell me to jump at the lake, I'll jump nope. at the lake. Nope. No, that, that's not that's not the, the true virtue of obedience. Right. And just like a father and a mother, they can't de demand their children to sin. Okay. Well, but that's that, that's it. You the the the. the the servile person yeah. is actually giving up his duty. Right. Well said. Yep. Right. That's how it works. Okay. I want to shift gears because you know what? The mission <laughs> of the Catholic Church is one thing, to save souls. And That's here at right. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, we always say with clarity and charity. Well, many, many years ago, I wrote a book, How to Share Your Faith with Anyone, a practical manual for Catholic evangelization. And it was a bestseller. Mm. 14 years ago, however many years. I don't know when it was published. But anyhow, Scott... I remember that book. I wrote the forward. Yeah, you're right. Matthew right. wrote the forward. Yeah, the introduction, forward. rather. Scott Hahn did a... Uh, what did Scott Hahn write? I did the forward. I did I did the introduction. Oh, that was it. Okay. And I got endorsements from lots of good folks, from Carl Keating to Archbishop uh, Gomez to Steve Ray and Tim Staples. All these guys wrote nice things about the book. But really what it comes down to is sharing your faith. I mean even among scandals. So what I wanted to do, I mean, the whole book, I think Ignatius sells it for $18 now. It went up over the years. Uh, I bought hundreds of them in stock, and I think at VMPR, we charge $10 plus shipping. So because I bought so many at the discounted price, I can share that with our listeners. Go to vmpr.org to pick up the book, because let's get back on our focus on sharing and I just want to say that I'm going to give you the do's and don'ts. And Matt, I'm going to share them with you, and then we'll have a conversation. But remember, Pope Paul VI said this, modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers. And if he does listen to teachers, it's because they are witnessing. Now, I gave the story about being at the Religious Ed Congress way back, maybe 15, 20 years ago, where... Um, were known to have anti-Catholics outside the Anaheim Convention Center arguing with Catholics about salvation. Mm -hmm. And it gets pretty nasty. And, you know, they were, they were getting into loud voices, you know, yelling at each other. And I just didn't see that as being, you know, very efficacious for the faith. It seems kind of scandalous, to be honest with you. Right. So I said, let me, can I, uh, can I jump in here? Yeah, watch, watch. I said, this is just using my basic laws of evangelization. Watch that, you know, using people, calling by name, asking questions. So when I went in to walk by this gentleman, he was going to tell me about how the Catholic Church is all wet. And I said, excuse me, can, can I ask you a question? What's he going to say? No. He said, yeah. I said, can you tell me how you fell in love with Jesus Christ? And he told me his conversion story. Because unfortunately, Unfortunately for us, most Catholics haven't been formed. That's why I want to form you in this, because he gave me his testimony. He was into wine, women, and song. 15-minute story of how Christ came into his life. I said, that's fantastic. Can I tell you mine now? What's he going to say, no? Now he mm -hmm. about the Eucharist, the Blessed Mother, and I catechized him. And I said, can we pray? Because now we have something in common. 
Other, the others were arguing and yelling at each other. We're praying now with each other. And I pray that, that wherever the truth will lead you, please, will you go? Yes, and I will too. The truth is what sets us free. And so the point I'm making is I needed to have my testimony. And it, it was compelling enough for him to say, fantastic too. He didn't agree mm-hmm. with my, my teaching on the, uh, the Catholic Church, sure. teaching on the Eucharist, um, the Blessed Mother. But he knew that I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. So now, I bring this up because in my book, I, you'd have to read the chapter, but in my book, I give the do's and don'ts. And I just want to uh, say this, that uh, the do's are very important and the don'ts are important. I won't get through them all, but I just want to, before I share the, the, the do's of, of uh, sharing your faith, Matthew, you're a convert to the Catholic faith. People hopefully have heard that you know you weren't really a fer- you never were fervent as a Protestant. I think you were just no. just kind of a nominal Protestant. I was a nominal Protestant. I think yeah. That's a fair statement. Mm-hmm. But but oh, we're gonna have a break on that quick. When we come back, <laughs> I'm gonna ask Matthew. I believe, and I'm gonna suggest that it was his wife's witness of the faith that probably touched your interest into the Catholic faith. Now, if I'm wrong. Correct me, but I don't think I am. Stay with us. Matt's going to share how his wife witnessed to him on her faith by living the faith. I think we can do that, too. Stay with us, family. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, Here's Terry and Jesse. Actually, Matt Arnold sitting in for Jess Romero again. He'll be back on Friday with me. Jesse will be back tomorrow. And we're talking about how to share your faith with anyone. It's a book I wrote, bestseller. It's got great reviews. It's really just my zeal of my salesmanship, okay, as a salesman in real estate. I uh, I was taught with um, one of the great Al Tomsics who used scripture to show me how these laws are biblical. And uh, I applied those laws in evangelization, <clears throat> and so I put this together after about 30 years of, of, of evangelizing, by what I call uh, tr- uh, just trial and error. And so what it worked, I put in the book, and what didn't work, I left out. But Matt, mm-hmm. <laughs> I made a comment that I said your wife, Betty, had a lot of influence over you as a non-Catholic when you met her, and can you just kind of briefly share the influence of her life, and I think her mother also, they had on you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that was one of the things that she, um, when we were dating, yep. you know, uh, she had, she knew that uh, we were going to get married long before I did, which I think is not uncommon. No, it's not uncommon. In a relationship. Uh, and, and went to her mother and said, you know, I, I, I love this man, but he's not Catholic. And, uh, and her mother said, yes, you know, you, if you really love him and it's, the, you know, you think it's the right thing to do, then you think it's the right thing to do, then you think it's the right thing to do, then cross. Trusting God. She went to her grandma Mm -hmm. and she said, you know, when the first time I I went over there, first time I I went over there, and she says, oh, and she says, oh, and, and, you know, she said, grandma, he's not Catholic. And she says, he will be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, fast forward to, we've been married for uh, a couple of years and our first son is, you know, born and then son is, you know, born and then three. And then a couple of years later, years later years later you know i and i would go to you know i and i would go to 
you know, I, and I would go to, you know, I, and I would go to just the right thing to do is, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad and I've, yeah. I'm a dad and I've, yeah. I'm a dad and I've, yeah. I'm not just going to send him to church while I watch the ball game. I'm going to go with him and go with him. It's the, that, well, it's the, that, well, mom, white, white, 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 the priest that helped us through the process understood that I was in no place to want to convert to Catholicism. Yep. Uh, but that I had a genuine respect for it, that he believed that I was sincere when I said I wanted to raise the kids Catholic. So he said, all right, when the kids come along and have questions, go to RCIA. Yep. And I promised him. Sure. And that means something to me. Absolutely. So you know, she said, you promised when the, you know, that I said, okay. And then I said, you know, there was a, par a priest at our parish that I thought was, seemed very sincere and, Turned out, you know, RCIA was starting that week and he was the instructor. And, you know, of course, all, all <laughs> everything, all the dominoes fell into place. Right. But I, I had no intention of converting to Catholicism. Right. None at all. Uh, and then we got around to the uh, apostolic succession and I had the intellectual linchpin, you know, the, the, the penny dropped there. Oh, you know, because I, I I discounted the Bible. Sure. And, and the whole Protestant thing of, oh, you have to believe in the Bible because it's the word of God, because... Why do you believe that? Because the Bible says so. And I said, well, that's circular reasoning, obviously. Yeah. He says, no, no, the Catholic Church was there. You know, uh, St. Peter, right? Uh, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths. We tell you about what we saw with our eyes and, and right. handled with our hands. Right. So we go, oh, okay. You know, they didn't base the church on the Bible. The 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 Bible came out of the church. Exactly. And and it was really that moment that, that the light bulb went on. But the reason I converted, the reason I came into the Catholic Church is that God gave me the gift of faith. Amen. And he gave me the gift of faith because that priest that taught RCIA made us pray for it at the Ask beginning of every class. Yeah. And my beloved wife, Amen. he was very much following the, the, the advice of 1 Peter 3, 1 through 17, <laughs> that good example, sure. uh, you know, through her, through her, her chastity and her, and her good life, um, was also praying for me. And the Blessed Virgin Mary, she was praying to her. You know, sure. and to the Holy Spirit, she would. She said, "I used to pray to the Holy Spirit. If you'd open up just a crack, He would come rushing in." Yep. Well, I can, I'm here to tell you those prayers work. Amen. Right. If you're struggling with your faith, that's the first thing you do is pray for more faith. Exactly. In the gospel, every day. When, when you know, he's, he wants Jesus to cast the demons out of his son, and he says, yep. "Do you believe that?" And he says, "Yes, I do believe." Lord, help my unbelief. Exactly. Thank. And, and, that's, and that's us. That's awesome. And you see, Matthew. That's why now you're teaching the class in RCIA for probably what 14 years or so yeah, uh, yeah. as a convert. So this is important. All right, I'm going to give a couple don'ts, uh, uh, the do's I should say first. The the do's of giving your testimony. Speak about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I do it through the Eucharist because then I can teach people about the real presence. Yeah, absolutely. Because well, then, and that's and that is a. I mean, I, I'm trying to keep things for time. That is the next step, mm -hmm. is that when I when I yep. was given the gift of faith, yes. I had this immediate hunger wow. to receive Holy Eucharist, yeah. to receive the Blessed Sacrament, to receive our Lord. 
Yeah. You know, because I go, no, it's Jesus. Exactly. And I, you know, and I love Jesus and I, and I talk to Jesus and, yeah. and, and he's inspired me to want to commune with him. And that's, you know, that's the most intimate uh, way that, you know, that you're not just communing with him spiritually. Like when you make a spiritual communion, you say, since I cannot now receive you right. sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart, right. which is a great and wonderful thing. You should do it several sure. times a day. Sure. But when you receive the Eucharist, he's not, he's present there physically. That's right. Within you. And that's just, I, it's indescribable, especially as a convert to, to encounter that reality was, <laughs> was just, uh, I, I, you know, words fail me. I love it because I have a book called 30 Day Eucharistic Revival, a retreat with St. Peter Julian Emmart, edited by our good friend, Father Don Calloway. And I'm mm. telling you, go to Father Don Calloway's website and pick it up because it'll inspire you to fall deeper in love with Jesus and the Eucharist. Another fact, be clear about the fact that Jesus is coming to your life through his church. For example, mm. with your RCIA program, you're inviting to go there. Another one. Use word pictures so that your testimony will paint a clear image in people's minds. So important when you talk about your conversion. And be aware that you need to leave out many things. You see, what I always suggest is you have like a five-minute conversion, 15-minute, even longer. Because depending on the circumstances, uh, you adjust to those. So it's really important that you actually practice giving your testimony. So we have a couple of minutes. I'm going to add a couple of now don'ts. Don't come across as a know-it-all. I love what Socrates said. If I'm smart, it's because I know I know nothing. I'm still learning. So we are still learning. Yeah, I'm fine. I love when Bishop Strickland says to me, hey, Terry, if I said something bad wrong about the, what the church teaches, don't wait till the break to tell me. Tell me on the air so I can correct it right away. Uh, <laughs> That's humility. That's right. All right, then he says, don't be long-winded. Keep it brief and do not prolong your testimony with unnecessary details. Like, oh, I went to the 7-Eleven to get a cup of coffee when that wasn't anything to do yeah, with right, your yeah. testimony. <laughs> so this book gives you an outline of how to do your testimony. I can I could talk for hours on this topic. As a matter of fact, I think if you go to uh, YouTube and type my name, I have several talks on these topics. Or if you want to get the book, you can go to vmpr.org and pick up the book. I think it's like, they say, $10. So it's almost half the price you'd pay from Ignatius. And um, I, I would say this. I, I want to give a couple scriptural verses that we need to re keep in mind because sometimes Catholics are bashful when it comes to sharing their faith. But Romans, I just read the whole chapter of Romans, a couple chapters this morning, and it inspired <laughs> me for my next show with Bishop Strickland. But I... Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. So we need to act like it. I mean, if you went to a restaurant, Matt Arnold, and you told me there's an Italian restaurant down the street, when you come over, let's go have lunch over there because it's really, really good. Well, great. But what about our Catholic faith? It's, it's out of this hmm. world, right? Now, another Scripture verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And then, of course, you quoted, I think, 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. These are all scripture verses, but you know, Matt, the bottom line 
is I, I think what's happened with these scandals, and I want to get your take on this, as I know you have something to say on that, is that many people are kind of like, like oh, I can't talk about my Catholic faith. Look, we're all under attack right now. Well, what can mm -hmm. I say? Your thoughts? Well, you know, first off, I, I get that, you know, you know, people are angry. Yeah. You know, it's understandable. It's yeah. more than understandable, really. Uh, Thomas oh, yeah. Aquinas says, uh, he who is not angry. Right. There is a just cause for anger is yep. immoral. Yep. Because anger looks to the good of justice. And if you can live amid injustice without anger, then you're immoral as well. Well said. Unjust. Well said. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a, but, say, Tom, you can't yeah, but so so it's okay to feel angry or upset or confused because you need to be outraged and upset about sin and scandal. Right. Guilty should be held accountable. Right. And it's only natural, it's only right when, when clergy or religious betray that sacred trust to which they are bound, as you said, by promises and in some cases by oaths. That's the sin of Judas, to betray the faith, to harm the innocent. Amen. You can't help but be affected by that, but you know, and your feelings of wanting justice done are right and good, but there's something we're called to do, and that's we're called to forgive. Amen. We need to forgive, and you have to remember, though, that to forgive doesn't mean to excuse or to justify. Jesus says uh, in Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, uh, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Yep. Pray for those who persecute you. Yep. You know, we mentioned in the gospel at the top of the show that reading, uh, you know, the gospel reading evangelization proceeds from a life of prayer. So in a time of scandal, that's the very first thing you need to pray. Amen. Pray for everyone involved, the victims, the perpetrators. Yep. You know, and especially that they will find the grace to repent and do whatever that, you know, penance that justice demands, even if that means prison. Yep. And, and that they would make amends and pray for those who have left the church because of the scandals and pray for yourself. And at the end of the day, you know, that's you need to pray to have the grace and the strength to share your faith in season and out of season. Well said. Remember what Fulton Sheen said, who's going to save our church? Not the bishops, not the priests, not the religious. It's up to us through our prayers and our actions. Matt Arnold, I didn't say Jesse Romero this time. Matt Arnold, <laughs> what state should we be living in? In the state of grace, Terry. I almost said Jesse, but I got it, caught myself. <laughs> and Matt, uh, the state of grace, yes. And also, again, evangelization is also part spiritually. Praying for our loved ones, praying for the church, praying for sinners, making reparation. And how do we do that? Through our prayers. Remember Our Lady of Fatima said, souls are going to hell because no one's there to pray and make sacrifices. Are we willing to step up to the plate and offer our sufferings with the sufferings of Christ to help redeem the world? I'll just give you a reference. First Colossians chapter 1. Read it. I fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Read that and join the team here at BMPR for Salvation of God bless you.